February is National Teen Dating Violence Awareness and Prevention Month, and today's episode is dedicated to that topic. This episode contains an explicit discussion of mental, emotional, physical, and sexual violence, so it may be disturbing to some listeners. Here we go. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light on what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur-Rude. When I was growing up, I was very sheltered. I lived in a small town on the plains in Oklahoma, and I had a family that was very middle class with a dad who was a college professor and a mom who stayed at home and volunteered and helped with things like the Girl Scouts and eventually became a librarian. My family was very peaceful, and I really saw and heard absolutely nothing of the world of violence or abuse as I was growing up. When I was in high school, I was actually a year younger than all of my classmates, and I didn't think much of the whole dating world. I didn't know what to do with it, and so I just opted out, so I didn't really date in high school. And I was oblivious to things like date rape and other kinds of abuse as a teenager until I went to my first Take Back the Night march in 1981 at Oberlin. Being in the middle of a very large crowd of young women and moms and women of really all ages and backgrounds and recognizing that rape was actually a thing and that it was something that was not just an occasional act, but it was something that many, many women experienced was a real eye-opener. But even so, after that, the subject of teens and dating violence was not very visible and was certainly not widely talked about. Even when I had daughters of my own who reached their teen years and started dating, they had their first boyfriends, I didn't know what the warning signs of abuse were, and I would not have recognized if anything was happening in any of their relationships. It was when I started learning about and then teaching self-protection and began actively engaging in conversations with mothers of other girls and with the teen girls who came to my classes that I discovered what a widespread and serious issue it truly is. That was also when I realized that millions of teens are experiencing the same dynamics that happen in adult domestic violence situations, and that many women who end up in abusive marriages and adult relationships also experienced abuse as girls. Today, I want to share as much as I can about teen dating violence with the Born to be a Badass community, so that if you, a family member, or a friend are experiencing something similar, you will be better prepared to recognize it and to take action to get yourself or your loved one safe. I have drawn on quite a wide variety of resources, certainly not an exhaustive list, but some of the resources that I have pulled information together from include the National Domestic Violence Hotline's Love is Respect website, the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence, 
the National Criminal Justice Reference Service, and two articles, one called Nine Ways to Prevent Teen Dating Violence by Sherry Gordon for the Very Well Family Parenting website, and another called Early Warning Signs of Teen Dating Violence by Stephanie McGee of the University of Missouri. Let's start with some statistics from the National Domestic Violence Hotline's Love is Respect website. Nearly 1.5 million high school students in our nation experience physical abuse from a dating partner in a single year. One in three adolescents in the U.S. is a victim of physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. And that is a figure that is far higher than any other type of youth violence. One in 10 high school students has been purposefully hit, slapped, or physically hurt by a boyfriend or girlfriend. Girls and young women between the ages of 16 and 24 experience the highest rate of intimate partner violence, almost triple the national average. Among female victims of intimate partner violence, 94% of those aged 16 to 19 and 70% of those aged 20 to 24 were victimized by a current or former boyfriend or girlfriend. And violent behavior typically begins between the ages of 12 and 18. Those are some horrifying statistics, but I hope that that gives you a feeling of what the terrain looks like, what the landscape is, and how many of our young people are being affected by this. I'm going to share a picture that was painted by Sherry Gordon in her article. From the outside, most teen couples you see in the hallways at school look pretty normal. In fact, they probably seem so close. But if you look a little closer, you would see that something is terribly wrong. She is wearing long sleeves on a humid day to hide the bruises on her arms where he squeezed her when he was angry. She has also stopped curling her long blonde hair and now wears it in a simple ponytail. Her boyfriend tells her she looks better this way, but really he doesn't want her long golden hair to attract attention at school. When her phone vibrates with an incoming text message, he grabs it from her and reads it. He has all her passwords and monitors all of her communication, even the messages from her parents. The message on her phone is from a friend. She wants to come over after school. He tells her to say that she can't hang out tonight. She has to spend all her time with him now. Eventually, her friends give up and stop calling and texting. In return... She feels alone, isolated, and confined. Still, she doesn't know what to do, and no one is around to help her. She's trapped in an abusive and controlling relationship with no ideas about how to get out. There are countless stories just like this one, happening in the hallways of our nation's schools every day. That picture painted by Sherry Gordon in her article is a powerful illustration of what is going on. And I can imagine that that story touches your heart and generates a desire in you to help anybody who is in that situation. You may even recognize it as a situation that you're in yourself. So let's start with warning signs, ways that can help us recognize 
that a relationship is not a healthy one and may in fact be abusive. And remember that abuse in a relationship can be physical, of course, but it can also be emotional, sexual, even financial. Abuse involves much more than just hitting, kicking, slapping, or punching. In fact, most abusive relationships start out with very subtle signs that most teens mistake for love. And they believe that those behaviors are a sign that the other person cares. But really, it's ultimately about that partner trying to control a situation by being manipulative, by bargaining, demanding, or bullying. The most common signs are jealousy, texting, and excessive phone calls, and insisting on spending every free moment together. But there are many more, and we're going to go into those in detail in just a minute. It's important to understand that controlling an abusive behavior and violence in a relationship does not improve or go away. It gets worse over time. Abuse escalates as the relationship progresses, and the victims are more likely to sustain substantial injuries and harm as time goes by. First, I want to dive into the realm of verbal or emotional abuse. Examples of verbal or emotional abuse include name-calling and put-downs, yelling and screaming, embarrassing you in front of others, intimidation, spreading negative rumors about you, keeping you from seeing your friends or family, threatening you with violence or other forms of harm, telling you what to do, making racial slurs about you, trying to make you feel responsible for the abuse and violence that is going on, showing excessive jealousy or insecurity, invading your privacy, having unexpected bouts of anger or rage or unusual moodiness, blaming you when he or she treats you badly by telling you all the ways that you provoked it, taunting, bullying, having an explosive temper, blowing up a lot. Constantly monitoring where you are and what you're doing to see who you're with. Falsely accusing you of things. And using controlling behavior, which might include giving you orders, telling you what to wear, and trying to make a lot of decisions for you. Or partners in a same-sex couple threatening to tell the family, friends, or teachers about your sexual orientation may also be occurring. Other signs that your partner may be verbally or emotionally abusive include that they are too serious about the relationship too quickly. They have had a lot of prior bad relationships and blame all of the problems on their previous partners. That goes hand in hand with not taking responsibility for their own actions. They may believe very strongly in stereotypical gender roles for males and females. You may find yourself worrying about how your partner will react to the things that you say, or you may be afraid of provoking your partner. You may feel as though you're constantly walking on eggshells. And another sign may be that your partner refuses to let you end the relationship. 
Examples of physical abuse include obviously threatening or causing physical violence, but also vandalizing or ruining your personal property. If your partner has a history of fighting, of hurting animals, or they brag about mistreating other people, that should be a warning sign, as would be whether or not your partner owns or uses weapons. Some of the forms of physical violence could include scratching, kicking, pushing, biting, slapping, shoving, pulling your hair, punching or pinching you, or choking. I just want to say a couple things about choking because it is a little bit different from other forms of physical assault. The Training Institute for Strangulation Prevention, which is an organization that provides training and technical assistance to police, prosecutors, medical clinicians, and domestic violence advocates, sheds some light on the subject of the dangers of choking. They say that one in four women will experience intimate partner violence in their lifetimes, and of those women at high risk, up to 68% will experience near-fatal strangulation by their partner. They conclude that if you have been choked before, you are not only likely to be choked again, you have a tremendous risk of being killed by the person who has choked you. Choking is a little bit different from some of the other forms of assault because some of the injuries are not visible. Choking can cause damage to the victim's throat and makes breathing, swallowing, coughing, and talking difficult. And although it may leave some visible injuries like bruises, sometimes the damage is not visible. So anytime you experience being choked by your partner, you should immediately get medical help because, as the Institute has documented, death can occur days or weeks after the attack due to carotid artery dissection and respiratory complications such as pneumonia, acute respiratory distress syndrome, and the risk of blood clots traveling to the brain. So choking is a form of assault that is extremely serious, and unlike other types of attack that may leave very visible injuries, choking may not. But that doesn't mean that it is not something that can threaten your life. Many girls report that they have been physically abused when they refuse unwanted sexual advances. So let's move on to sexual abuse. Sexual abuse includes pressuring you into unwanted sexual activity, and that could be anything from sexting or sending pictures to going further than you want to or participating in rough or violent sexual activity. It could also include not letting you use birth control or protection against sexually transmitted diseases and includes obviously date rape. In one survey, more than 76% of female high school students reported that they had experienced one or more incidents of unwanted sexual activity, including unwanted kissing, hugging, groping, and or sexual intercourse. I want to say a word here about the role of technology because the use of technology and the prevalence of technology, including cell phones and laptops among teens, makes them even more vulnerable to cyber-stalking. 
And that can include things like unwanted contact via email and social media. Many teens are being controlled, abused, and threatened via cell phone and by computer use using email, text messages, instant messages, phone calls, and also web chats, social sites, and blogs. When your partner is using these technological means to control you, that intensifies the level of abuse because the abuser now has access to you 24 hours a day, even when you're not physically together. In fact, 30% of teens say that they've been text messaged up to 30 times an hour by a partner who's trying to find out where they are, what they're doing, or who they're with. 25% of teens say that they've been called names, harassed, or put down by their partner via cell phone or text messaging. And 22% of teens have been asked to engage in sex via cell phone or the internet when they don't want to. 19% of teens say that their partner has used a cell phone or the internet to spread rumors about them. 11% of teens report that a partner has shared private or embarrassing photos or videos of them. And 10% claim to have been threatened physically by email, instant message, text, or chat room. So I know that's kind of a horrifying picture to lay out of the various ways that abuse can occur in an intimate relationship. And honestly, doing the research has left me a little bit shell-shocked because I I knew that it was widespread, but I really hadn't dived very deep into all of the different ways that abuse can occur. And my heart definitely aches for all of these youngsters who have been experiencing any of these forms of abuse. This episode is brought to you by Damsel in Defense. Damsel in Defense creates products that allow you to enhance your safety through items that you either carry on your person or in one of your bags or purses, or the things that you can keep in your home or in your car. Damsel is also involved in fighting human trafficking by creating damsel houses. Currently, there are two, one in Cambodia and one in India, where girls are rescued from sex trafficking. They are given housing and shelter and help to form a plan to build new lives so they no longer have to sell their bodies. The goal for Damsel is to have a home in every country that their partner organization, which is called Destiny Rescue, is rescuing in. I became a Damsel rep not because I really wanted to sell self-defense products, but because so many of my clients wanted to buy them. And I wanted to A give them a good vehicle to buy products that I knew were good quality products that are workable, and B, because I wanted to be able to provide them with the training that they need to actually learn how to use these products and have a realistic understanding of when they can and cannot be helpful. So I became a Damsel in Defense Pro, and if you're interested in checking out their products, which cover a wide variety of things, everything from stun guns and pepper sprays, to coupons and other striking tools and tactical pens with flashlights and a whole lot more, you can access products from Damsel through my website by going to cynthiajolacourt.com slash resources. That's where I've highlighted a few of the products that I really appreciate and that I think are a great value. So check those out if you're interested. 
And if you want to look through the whole Damsel catalog, you can click through from my website to my Damsel Pro site where you can find all their other products, including books and other materials that you can use to work with your children to begin their journey of knowing how to keep themselves safe. Remember, you don't have to be a damsel in distress. You can protect yourself and you can get some help in doing that through Damsel in Defense. So what makes it so difficult for a teen to recognize that what is going on in their intimate relationship is actually abusive? Well, there are several factors. They may be, like me, somebody who came from a family environment where it wasn't even visible, it didn't occur, it just wasn't even a concept, and so it's very difficult to recognize it. And if you have no life experience, then it's easy to just think, well, I'm in a relationship, it's a romantic relationship, he tells me he loves me, or she tells me she loves me, so this must be what love is like, not understanding that love is not abuse. Or it may be that Nateen grew up in a family that was completely the opposite, where violence and abuse were the norm. And that equation of violent and abusive behavior with love is already well established. Teens are at a point in their life where they're becoming very independent and autonomous. They're getting out of the house. They may be getting a driver's license and becoming more mobile able to drive themselves around. And so their relationship with the family, especially with the parents, becomes much looser. And parents lose visibility into what's really going on in their teen's life. Teens don't really want to share details of their personal lives with their parents as they're going through these adolescent years. So if there is something in a relationship that is starting to go wrong, it can be very hard to talk to a parent about that. If this dating relationship is one of your first and you don't have a lot of life experience, you don't have a lot to go on, then you may not notice that you are being groomed to be a victim. You may not notice that you're being manipulated. You may not notice how strong the influence of your partner is actually becoming. I know I certainly didn't. It can be a very subtle process. There's an article that's been going around the various social media sites in the last couple of weeks that was written by a mother whose daughter was killed by an intimate partner. And she has one strong piece of advice, which is the first time he hits you, you should leave. And that's very clear advice and very good advice. However, in these dating relationships, it often doesn't start with physical abuse. And it can be much harder to recognize the warning signs, and the behaviors of mental and emotional abuse that can occur. If we were to say, hey, the first time your partner says something mean to you, you should end the relationship, well, none of us would have any relationships because sometimes we get into arguments, we have disagreements, and we may say things that we don't really mean. Sometimes we can be unkind to each other and not really mean it. So if we break up every relationship because of an unkind word, right off the bat, then we would probably never have any relationships. However, that is detrimental when what is happening in a relationship with your partner is actually a subtle and growing escalation of manipulation, coercion, shaming, and all of the other behaviors that I describe in 
the discussion of the warning signs of mental and emotional abuse. So it can be hard to recognize that form of abuse and hard to accept it, especially if your partner is telling you that the reason it's happening is your fault. That sense of shame can keep you from seeking out help, and you might actually start to believe that you deserve it. So that brings us to what can you do? And I want to start by saying what seems to prevent teens from actually asking for help. So here are some more statistics that are a little bit surprising and a little bit horrifying. Nearly 80% of girls who have been physically abused in their intimate relationships continue to date their abusers. That speaks to how difficult it is for them to leave. And that is not unlike adult women who are trapped in abusive marriages. 33% of teens who have been in an abusive relationship never told anybody about the abuse. 80% who had been in an abusive relationship turned to a friend for help, not to their parents or an authority figure. Now, not going to friends or an authority figure, like a teacher or a principal or some other adult, Maybe because they've already had experiences of not being believed by an adult or by having adults minimize or not take their experiences seriously. They may not come to a parent because they may be afraid of losing their freedom of choice, their autonomy, their ability to come and go as they wish. And some may be afraid that their parents will force them to end the relationship. Teens who are in a same-sex relationship that's abusive may fear speaking to their parents because they're worried about being thrown out of their houses, being disowned, or possibly even being institutionalized by their parents. The most important thing if you're in a relationship and you're recognizing some of these warning signs that I've described as things that are happening in your relationship is to recognize that none of these behaviors are loving behaviors. And to recognize that you don't deserve to be treated that way. You deserve respect and you deserve love. And if any of these things are happening in your relationship, you are not receiving either. You're not stuck. However, there are resources and there are people who can help you extricate yourself from the situation safely. And I would encourage you to seek those out in your local community or to use some of the nationwide resources that I'm including in the show notes. So what are some of the warning signs that parents and friends can look for? You may see your teen experiencing dramatic changes in weight or appearance, extreme mood swings, fear of expressing their own thoughts or feelings. They may be quieter than usual or withdrawn. You may see them drop out of extracurricular school activities. Or you may see failing grades. You may notice them being excessively worried about how a partner will react about something that they say or do or they want to propose. You may see an unusual level of nervousness. You may see binge eating and purging, smoking, drinking, and using legal drugs. And it may even go as far as attempting suicide. Warning signs for parents also include 
noticing that the teen's partner is possessive or overly jealous, noticing if your teen changes her habits or has unexplained injuries. You may see that your teen's partner doesn't respect her or his goals and in fact may go as far as sabotaging them. If your teen is constantly checking in with her or his partner and apologizing frequently, not just to the partner, but to everybody else, those are serious warning signs. And again, if the relationship becomes serious very quickly, that is also a potential warning sign. If you are a parent or a friend of a teen and you suspect that there's something not right with their dating relationship, I suggest that you have a private conversation with them and let them know that you love them, you care about them, you're concerned, that you may be noticing some things that don't seem healthy or don't seem right, and that you're available, that you're always available and open to hearing from them, listening to them, helping them in whatever form they need, whenever they need it. Don't be pushy. Don't be judgmental. Just let them know that you care and that if they want to reach out, that you are there for them. Another really important thing to be aware of, whether you are a parent or a teen, is the cycle of abuse. There are three stages that tend to get repeated over and over again. Tension building, explosion, and a honeymoon period. And this is very similar to what happens in adult intimate partner situations as well. In the tension building phase, the couple may argue a lot. The abuser may yell for no reason and make false accusations. You may feel like you can't do anything right. And in general, the atmosphere between you as a couple is very tense and the tension builds with every interaction. This accumulation of tension is released in an explosion, which is the second phase. It's a burst of verbal, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. So your abuser may scream in a frightening, a threatening, or humiliating way. They may throw things at you, slap, kick, punch, or do other physically violent things towards you. They may grab you in a sexually aggressive manner, and it may also involve rape. After that explosion comes the honeymoon where the abuser will apologize and promise to never abuse you again. They may bring you flowers or other gifts. And sometimes they will shift the blame onto you and accuse you of being the one who caused the explosion and caused the abusive behavior. They may also blame the abuse on drugs or alcohol. That cycle of the three stages is very common. And it repeats over and over again. And quite often, the explosion gets worse and worse and worse. So what can you do if you notice these signs in your child's relationship? Well, number one is don't give your teen an ultimatum or force them to break up. Second, don't badmouth your teen's partner. Both of those things can drive a wedge between you and your teen and make it even harder for them to come to talk to you about what's going on. A third possible action you might take is to set limits on their use of their smartphone and their laptop. 
If you notice these signs in your relationship or in your child's relationship, trust your intuition. If you believe that there might be a problem, you are probably right. Don't ignore those warning signs. So I realized that in relating all of these aspects of emotional and verbal abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse, and talking about what the warning signs are that there may be trouble in a relationship, I have painted a very dark and very bleak picture. And my purpose in doing that is twofold. One is that many of us do not recognize that we are actually in abusive situations. We just tend to think that it's normal. And this is especially true for teens who have not been in loving dating relationships before. So it is very easy for a teen to think, well, I'm in a relationship. This is my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and they're supposed to love me. So this must be what love is all about. So I want to lay out all of those warning signs and all of those characteristics of abuse so that if one or more of them rings a bell, if one or more of them is something that has been going on, you can start to recognize that that is abuse. My second reason for laying all of that out is that as a parent, I was extremely ignorant and I had no clue. A, that this was going on with teens, and B, what it could look like. And I desperately hope to provide other parents with better knowledge, better insight, and more wisdom into the entire topic so that if their child happens to be in a relationship that is not a healthy one, they are better prepared to recognize the warning signs than I was. Now, I was very fortunate that neither of my daughters was in an abusive relationship as a teen. But I really cannot attribute that to anything that I did to educate them about what abuse looked like or about what healthy relationships look like. And it certainly had nothing to do with my ability to notice if there was something going on with them. So my third reason for providing all of this information is so that if it resonates, if you recognize it, you can actually have some resources to start to process that and start to find ways to move out of that situation and into a more healthy space. And so in the show notes today, I will include the links to the resources that I used as well as to other resources that you can check into for more information and more support. Two of the best ones are the National Domestic Violence Hotline which is 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233, and also the loveisrespect.org website. In my self-protection classes for teen girls, I have always taught exactly the same things that I teach to adult women. Those are things about how to detect and avoid potential danger, how to recognize threats, how to listen to your instincts and intuition, how to defuse or de-escalate or change the dynamics of a situation through verbal means or through behavior so that it doesn't become violent, and then how to fight using your natural tools if you have to defend yourself physically. And I still do all of that in my classes for teens. But what I now include is more information about how to recognize 
the warning signs that your intimate partner relationship is not a healthy one and may in fact be abusive. Because the reality is that for most girls and women who have to deal with violence and abuse, it does not come from a stranger in the bushes or from a random person that they might encounter. It comes from somebody that they know, and quite often that somebody is their partner. And so I want to give these younger women the tools right up front as they set out on their lives so that they can recognize and hopefully avoid being a victim of intimate partner abuse and violence. And in a similar way, as they get older and become adult women and perhaps look for a marriage partner or a long-term relationship, they can be less likely to fall into a situation where they end up with a partner who is abusive. So my goal is to bring this knowledge and awareness to young women at a point in time where hopefully they have not yet encountered this kind of coercive, abusive, violent behavior in a partner and give them the means to recognize it and avoid it as they go through their teen years into their 20s and on up through adulthood. I know this has been a heavy subject, but I felt as though it was really important to dive really deep and to give as much specific information as I could to give you the opportunity to raise your awareness, your understanding, and your ability to respond. Thank you for listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.